0: God's house this morning. Anybody? All right. I am too. So good to see your faces. I'm Jesse Gibson. If we haven't met, I want to say welcome to God's house today. We are excited to worship, to learn, to grow. How many of you are ready to learn something in the word of God today that changes your life? Bob and Diane Mannion, how are you today? Y'all want to come up here? No? Will you? (laughs) You can only pick on people whenever uh, you've known them a long time. Well, not really. You can pick on anybody, but it only goes over real well if you've known them for quite a while. So this is Bob and Diane Mannion, y'all wave at the people. They need to see your beautiful faces. Your beautiful face, Bob, Bob Mannion. Uh, these guys took Brian and I on the golf course when we first came to Owensboro. Well, we weren't even living here yet, were we? And you guys took us out and you uh, showed us a good time and we laughed and it made us wanna come to Owensboro. Y'all give them a hand clap today. Stretch your hands out to Bob and Diane Mannion. We're going to pray over them and bless them. Thank you, God, for the goodness of God and for the goodness of people. We thank you, Lord, that you have a mercy that endures forever for us. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of the Mannion family. I thank you for the way that they've loved us. I thank you, God, for their wisdom and their uh, voice in mine and Brian's life. I bless them. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, I pray for anointing. I pray for healing virtue, healing virtue, healing virtue right now affecting a cure. I don't even know that there's anything wrong, but right now I I know by the Spirit that God is affecting a cure in your body right now, affecting a cure in your body right now. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I speak to every fiber, every cell of his body and I command it to line up with the word of God. And right now, Lord, I thank you that the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will guard his heart and his mind, guard his heart and his mind, guard his heart and his mind, guard his heart and his mind mind through Christ Jesus. We thank you for it today, Lord. Amen. Love y'all. Well, that wasn't in the plan, but that was good. Let's do something different this morning. How about we just stand for the reading of the word? Anybody got your Bible, your phone, a screen? I'll read it to you, we'll, we'll get it every which way we can today. In Matthew 14, verse 13 through 21, I'm gonna read it today, Matthew 14, if you're following along, verse 13 through 21. We're gonna read this passage of scripture. It's gonna encourage you today. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself, and when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion. How many of you are glad that our God still moved with compassion for us? I wanna stop right there. I want you just to focus on that, moved with compassion. We follow the flow of love in our life just like Jesus did. Jesus would walk through a crowd and the love flow would start coming out of him. He would be moved with compassion to go to somebody. Never skip a love flow moment. That's what just happened whenever I looked at the Mannions, said, God, you've got something for them today. And I just looked at them and then I just said, hey, I'd like to pray for you. You pray for somebody, God will give you a great word for them, change their life forever. I'm telling you always follow the compassion that wells up in your heart from God. We're just, we're called to be like Jesus and spread compassion and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, but Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Jesus, what are you thinking? We don't have enough. Then Jesus said, then Jesus, everybody say it with me. Then Jesus bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, besides all the women and children that that food fed. And if you love the word, just say yes this morning. You can be seated. We're gonna talk about this. We're gonna talk about what God did in six statements today that I wanna talk to you about. Multiplication, the God of multiplication. In Israel, whenever we go to Israel, we always go to the church of multiplication. There's a rock there, they say it's the actual rock that Jesus put that bread and fish on to multiply it for this moment. Every time I'm there, I ask God to give me a spirit of multiplication. How many of you know that addition is good, but multiplication is better, isn't it? Subtraction is miserable. Anybody experienced any subtraction in your life at any season? You lose a friend, that friend goes away, you think you'll never have another friend, seven more show up because they didn't like that other person but they liked you, now you're multiplied. God's good like that. He never takes something away and doesn't replace it with better. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes we're afraid to hand God what we have because we're afraid we'll never get any more, but when we hand God what we have, God gives us a multiplication in that area of our life. So addition's cool, but multiplication is better. And subtraction and addition are early concepts that we get in school. Subtraction and addition are very common concepts and they're very easy unless you work at a cash register and you're under 20 and that, then you can't do it because you've worked the computer too long. But addition and subtraction are better, okay, are easy, But then you get about the third grade. And how many of you ever had a trauma in the third grade? The third grade is hard, okay? The third grade is difficult. And this is why, because you have to start learning multiplication and division. Those are concepts that are a little bit more difficult. Multiplication facts are all that we do at our house right now. I am living in a sea of multiplication tables. I am living in a sea of memorization of multiplication tables. I am living... through the whining about the multiplication tables that go above seven. I am living in this moment. It is real to me right now. But multiplication is such a good thing. I don't want my kids to miss it because if they miss that concept, they miss a lot of concepts that will lead them into the other parts of math that they need, right? And so... We've been working and working and working and working. And I say, do your ones. Oh, they love the ones. Do your twos. Twos are easy. Do your threes, mama. Do your fours. Do your fives. Write out your sixes. When I get to seven, all hell breaks loose in the whole house. They just melt in the floor and start crying. And we have an episode and I have to like, you know, encourage them in the Lord with the rod of correction. And then... Seven, eight, nine, ten—they love the tens. 10. They love the 10s. They love 10s. And then 11 and 12, and then they're just miserable, and I love every minute of it. Why? Because we're getting them where they have the basic concepts, the foundation to their math skills so that they can move ahead. And some of us in the spirit have never moved ahead in our maturing of the concepts of our faith. We don't understand the multiplication of God. We see subtraction. We focus on subtraction. We hope for addition, but we don't have the faith for multiplication. Some of us have to build the faith for multiplication. So today we're gonna talk about nothing but the God of multiplication. The God that multiplies, that is our God. There is no other God like him. He is good in all his ways. Don't you ever let anybody tell you anything else besides that, God is good in all his ways. He is the God of multiplication. The other day I was asking a pastor friend of mine, why do you, you always look happy? Daniel Bracken of Alaska, King's Chapel, you always look happy. Why do you look so happy? And he said, I am happy. I said, don't you get mad? You never get mad when people leave you that you've invested in for years and years. I've never seen you look mad. He said, I don't get mad about that. I said, how do you not get mad about that? How does it not break your heart? And he said, because this is a common concept that pastors have an issue with. And he says, because God spoke to me and gave me a word years ago that for every one person that left my church, seven would come. And I was like, wow, I wish God had given me that word because that's encouraging. It would be, he said, I try to get mad about the person leaving, but I can't because I'm so happy about the seven coming. I can't even stay where I am. And I said, okay. And he said, it just helps me through it. Helps me keep my heart clean. And I said, I wish I had that word from the Lord. He said, you do. Today, I give you that word from the Lord. And he prophesied over me. And I've been speaking it ever since. And I've just gotten so happy in the last two weeks. I keep thinking, man, when the devil steals, the Bible says that whatever the devil steals, that God will return to you, that the devil's required to get, I'm sorry, not God. The devil is required to give you sevenfold what he steals for me. So I... I'm taking that as my word, and I'm not giving it up. Nobody can jerk it out of my hands. I'm holding on to it. If you have to pry it from my cold, dead fingers, I'm holding on to that word. Because I want the church of the living God to be multiplied. I want God's voice and his word to infuse every person that we touch, that we ever are around. Don't you want that for our church? Don't you want that for your life? Don't you want it for your family? The God of multiplication. So... This is the greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did, and it's become the symbol of Christianity. You see that fish on everybody's bumper sticker on their business card, don't you? You see it on the side of their vehicle. Sometimes whenever I see the fish, I avoid that business because people think that just saying that they're a Christian makes them able to do business bad. Bad bad business. Bad business does not equate Jesus' business. So if you're gonna put that fish on your business card or on your vehicle, you better be ready to do some incredible work in that segment of society. Because as representatives of Jesus Christ and that symbol being the symbol of Christianity, it actually symbolizes the multiplication, the power of God to do miracles with the natural. With the very common thing, the very small thing God puts in your hand, you're now able because Jesus gives it into your hand and blesses it. Now, as his disciple, we're able to multiply that thing. That means if you're a plumber and you have a fish on your business card, you better be the best plumber in Owensboro, Kentucky. If you have a glass installing business and you're gonna put a fish on the side of your, oh boy, you better get busy because you have got to provide the best glass installing service in the entire state of Kentucky because we're Christians and we represent Jesus. And everywhere we go, we represent the God of multiplication. It has become the symbol for who we are. That's how important that miracle was in that verse. Isn't that incredible? He places a demand on his disciples. Do you like demands being put on you? (laughs) It's not ever fun when a demand is placed on you but he placed a demand on his disciples to be a conduit for people's needs. In verse 16, he says this to them. He says, you give them something to eat. You, not me, you. He's like, why are you sending them away? Give them something to eat. This is not, brain, this is not rocket science. You're not, you don't have to be a brain surgeon, guys. Give the people something to eat so they don't have to go away, fix their own food, and not come back for hours. I'm ready to teach. Jesus was long-winded that day. He wanted them to stay, he had things to say. And he's like, no, I don't want them walking away for hours, I have a plan, feed them. And they're looking at him like, feed 5,000 men and their wives and children. Sure, Jesus, we'll do that. With what, the air? what do you want from us? And Jesus is looking at them because they're not mature in their faith and all he can think exude, it comes out of his pores, multiplication. Jesus is the God of multiplication, and he can't understand the subtraction mindset. He cannot do it. He doesn't even really grasp the concept of addition. Multiplication is kind of his thing. So he looks at him and he says, feed these people. He puts a demand on the disciples to come up with a way to feed all of these people. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a disciple that has been put a demand on, but if you haven't yet, you should, because there's great things that come out of having that demand put on you. You say, Jesse, I'm too young. Do not let them look down on you because of your youth. You are never too young to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. (laughs) Never, never too young. Many people look at the needs of the spiritually lost world and they say, let somebody else reach them. Guys, if it's not us, then who is it? If you're not going to reach out and touch somebody, who is going to? Bethany Norris, if you're not going to talk to someone about Jesus in your chair, which hairstylist in this town is going to do that? Joy, you want to do it? I'm ready. I mean, if someone's in your seat and you're not the one, then who is it? Somebody tell me who it is. If I am not the one that's called to reach the people in front of me, then who is the person? And yet we look around and say, where is that person? Well, I have got news for you. Jesus is putting a demand on you. He wants you to reach those people. You are the people of multiplication. This is why I cannot get in in sync with people that say that God is not the God of multiplication. They have problems with people financially multiplying, they have problems with people emotionally multiplying, they have problems with people multiplying children in their home and having too many children and overpopulation. I don't get that at all because I serve a God of multiplication. You can ask me over and over to shut up about the goodness of God and the multiplication of God and the finances of God and that, hey, Jesse, do you not think, if you are happy with what you have, you are content in all things. You do not want one more shirt, pair of shoes, car, house, nothing. Great, I think that's lovely. Still go get it and give it to somebody. God has called us to be the people of multiplication. He has called us to work hard and to earn things. Why? So that we can bless the world. He's put a demand on us. And if you work only one day for you and your family, then work four, five for the rest of the world. If you have to work two days for your family, then work four for the rest of the world. You said just that's six work days. We have five. No, Jesus has six. It's called the extra day, the work day. God only rested one. That's what's wrong with America. That's why we can't pay our bills. That's why we're in great debt. Let that sink in. The sixth day. It's a beautiful thing. I can't tithe the sixth day I can't give offerings the sixth day. I can't afford that the sixth day because five will keep you even, but six will send you over the top. God rested one. Uno. He's the God of multiplication. He takes what we have and he blesses it. And if it's not us, then who is it? Look at your neighbor today and just say, if it's not me, then who is it? Come on, talk to your neighbor. They're, They're nice. They look a little scary because they're nervous, but they're good people. Turn to your neighbor and say, if not me, then who? Go ahead, tell them. Some of you, your best friend is sitting by you right now and I can't get you to turn. (laughs) Owensboro, Kentucky, look at your neighbor and say, if not me, then who? There we go. I heard voices. It was beautiful. Come on now. Bill Mayfield, if not you, then who? Come on, let's get God's mindset for us. We can have a send them away mindset, number three, or we can have a bring them to us mindset. See, the disciples, they were immature in their faith and they were pushing the people out, but Jesus was gathering them to them you know that for the last year, every church in America that was any, it was doing anything started just sending people out, just, please get away from me, please don't hug me, please don't touch me, please, we're afraid of everything. And his church, not every church, I, a lot of churches, I shouldn't say every church, his church decided to step up and say, no, we're going to bring people to Jesus. What? You're sick? Good. We have healing virtue flowing through our hands. What? You're afraid? Great. We've got deliverance for fear. What? You're broke? Good. Come in. God's going to teach you how to make a living. See, we're the hardest working, most encouraging, blessing people in the entire city, everywhere we dwell. Every place that our feet go, it prospers because we don't send people away. We bring people in. Listen, if you haven't thought about that, today's your day to think about it. I don't send people away, I bring people in. God wants his people to be fed. He wants them to prosper. He wants them to be blessed. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to be built, and he's looking for the people of God that will gather them to Jesus instead of send them away. So Jesus says, come on, start dividing it up. Bring it to me, bring it to me. I'm I'm gonna give you a portion, and then we're gonna go out and begin... To do that, you say, Jesse, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too new, I'm, I've been around too long, I'm not interested anymore, I'm too this, I'm too that. You're never too anything if God is in the midst of it. You give God your natural, and He will give you His supernatural, and in the midst of that will be the multiplication. Your faith cannot come and go based on circumstances. No, no, no. You have to commit to this thing. If you're not committed, you will be thrown out because the waves of the, and the wind will take you down. The Bible says in James 1:6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I love my son Justice because he is never blown by the wind. Even when he's wrong, never changes his mind. When he's right, he sticks to it. He has a strong character. He has a strong stamina for what he believes. He is not looking for anyone to like him. He doesn't care if you agree with him. He sticks to his guns. Drives me crazy. But I love it in him because I know it's going to be a quality that's going to serve him well in life. Every time I go through the drive-thru, Justice, what would you like? A hamburger, cheeseburger, nothing on it, not even ketchup, mom. Great, would you like french fries with that? I would like a cheeseburger. Mm Mm-hmm, yep, we went over that. Do you want french fries? I want a cheeseburger. Son, they have this little thing called a combo. I'm just asking if, we've been through this hundreds of times, do you want fries or a drink? I would like a cheeseburger. Meat is obviously the most important thing in a man's life can't get him to say anything else until I acknowledge, yes, son, I'm going, and sometimes I have to order it before he will let me order anything else. Why? He is focused on the prize. He is solidified in his belief that if he gets that cheeseburger, he will be happy. He doesn't really care about any of the frills that go along with it. Some of us need to stick to our guns, not driven with the waves, not driven with the wind, not looking for people's approval, but just stick where we're called to stick and say what we're called to say, and believe what we're called to believe, and not waver. Don't waver, look at your neighbor and say, don't waver. waver. Number four, Jesus wants to take a little bit and make it a lot. One of the largest miracles of Jesus started with that kid and his little bitty lunch. I don't know how they pried it out of the kid's hands, because I can't get my kids to share any of their food. But that little boy was a, was a giving little boy, and he said, sure, Jesus, you can have my lunch. It was a little bitty lunch, and it didn't look like much to everybody around, but miracles don't ever look like much when they start. See, I think kids are the best miracle that we ever get in life, and they start little, don't they? Nobody knows that they're there, except for that mom that's felt like that before, and you can look in another mom's eyes and you're like, mm-hmm, miracle. She still looks skinny and fit and she doesn't look like anything's wrong with her, but she's got that sleepy look in her eyes and you're like, I know about you. <laughs> but you don't say anything, you just exchange a glance and it's like, I got my eyes on you. And she goes, do you know that I know that you know that I know? We know. She's just a little bitty miracle. Starts out like that. Miracles don't start with a big old family. God doesn't give a woman five children, t- three dogs and a husband the minute she thinks I want a family no miracles start small we grow our families that's why they call it growing families businesses start small I think the statistic is my mother-in-law was telling me the other day that it takes five years to make a business profitable well guess what if you're doing less than five years and your business is profitable good on you I love it let's do this and businesses start small and then they grow Mir- the miracle of finances in your life starts small. It actually starts with saving and tithing. And then God from there can grow a miracle of finances that makes you a blessing. What do you have in your hand? It may look natural. It may look small. It may look like a little boy's lunch. Don't ever be embarrassed of what you have in your hand. In the next season of our church, we're going to go into our uh, our yearly giving that we do for the building of the church and the preparation of those who are to come. I love this season. It's one of my favorites because people's testimonies go through the roof because they take what they have in their hand and they give it to God. My friend Shannon Morocco the other day said this. She said, I never look at my bank account to ask what I'm supposed to give. I ask God what I'm supposed to give and then I watch my bank account so that I see what he will do. I'm like, man, that's incredible to think that way. flip-flop of the Spirit. And she does. She lives her life that way. What do you want me to give God? And then we pay attention. She didn't say it exactly like that, but when she said it, I was thinking, she watches her bank account after she asks God, not her, looks at her bank account and then tells God. She asks God, then looks at her bank account to see when will God place it there. And she works every single day, and she works every single day, and then she allows the increase to come into her life. And I love that part of her. It's one of my favorite parts of being her friend because she takes what she has in the natural and she gives it to God no matter how small it looks. Now these disciples had it in their hand and I want to tell you this because I've been that disciple. I've been the disciple that's following a teacher that has a big idea and I don't know what's going to happen. I want to know like where are the baskets? We didn't even bring those. Where How many people is each disciple going to feed? How much should we put in the basket? Exactly how long is it from the time we tear the bread off that it replaces itself in the spirit? Like, what is going to happen here? This is what I do to Brian. And Brian looks at me and he says, just follow what I'm asking you to do. Let's go. And I'm like there are some really important details that I need as a follower of your teachings and your church and uh, as a wife and as a member and as a staff member. Like, I would really like to know, and I've noticed something he feels no obligation to ever tell me. So I started asking God, let me be second. I think every believer, every Christian, every person in church should say, God, let me be second. Let me see it in the spirit before it ever comes. Far before it ever comes, give me faith to see with the eyes of my spirit what you wanna do on the earth. Let me see what it is that you wanna multiply us to, God. Give me the ability to follow with faith. These disciples had this bread and they're like, I'm gonna look like a complete idiot. They go to a thousand people with like one morsel of bread and a little piece of fish and they're like, and people do not take their fair portion. Mothers take their fair portion and wait for everybody to get enough. Children do not. It's like two whole scoops of mashed potatoes on their plate. Those kids were tearing off pieces and the disciples were like, maybe a little bit less. Like, I don't know, but I don't know how quick this is going to go. Maybe you could just a little bit, a little piece, little little tight. Mom, could you do something? She's like, honey, honey, leave some for someone else. Two morsels. Two morsels but God just kept multiplying it. And in the end, there was enough, not only for the 5,000 men, their wives and children, but there was also 12 baskets of extra because God doesn't just provide for who's in the house, he provides for those who are to come, amen? He provides for those who are to come. All they could find was five loaves and two fish, but they brought it to Jesus, he blessed it, he multiplied it, but he refuses to do miracles without people. And so he waited and the miracle number six happened not in the master's hand. It happened in the disciple's hand. God refuses to have a revival without people. (laughs) He refuses to have a revival without people. If you're a disciple, your hands are miracle seed. The minute that the natural touches you and Jesus has blessed it, it comes from your hand as a gift of faith and God begins to multiply it. Don't ever be scared to be the one who passes out the bread morsels. You will never regret getting involved in the game. I want you to know today, as we move, I'm just sowing the seed of faith in your heart right now. I want around your tables this week, around your family, around your houses, you're gonna say, God, what will we do for the church? Not for those who are just here, but for those who are to come. And in the first service, I just began to prophesy, and I'll do it again right now. There are people coming into this house. There are people coming to this house. There are people coming to this house by faith. They're coming from the north, the east, the south and the West. We tell the devil to give them up and bring them in. Come on into the house of God. Come on. Come on into the house of God. Go ahead and just call your loved ones in right now where you're seated. Come on into the house of God. Be strengthened. Be blessed. Be helped. Be loved. Be delivered. Be set free. Be forgiven. Be healed. God, we thank you that you have a spot here in Owensboro Kentucky to change this city and change our region and that those people are coming in by faith lord we commit ourselves we will not be tossed by the wind we will be the hands of jesus and he blesses it but we pass it out lord as they grab from our hand let everything that we touch prosper prosper and multiply lord let us be the disciples that are not afraid to carry your fish and your loaves In Jesus' name. How many of you want to be those disciples? Anybody in the house today? Me too. I won't be afraid. I will not be afraid to carry the mill. I will not be afraid to carry the mill. I will not think of what will be demolished or what will be broken or what will not be enough. I will not be afraid that people will think I look foolish I've looked foolish enough in the natural on my own. I will be the person that if I'm going to look foolish, I'm going to look foolish for Jesus. I'm going to try every time there's a miracle in the making to be a part of it. I want to be smack dab in the middle of the revival that God brings. If people hate me, if people don't like me, if I lose friends, I don't care. I want to be a part of the miracle and the revival that God is bringing to America right now. Father, we agree in faith today as a church. Go ahead and stand on your feet. That we want to be a part of the the miracle working revival that you're bringing to the earth today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you today. Now lift your hand to heaven if you feel comfortable with it. Maybe you want to lift two. I bless these people in the name of Jesus. I say that they're the head and never the tail, above only and never beneath. Their cupboards are filled with plenty. They have an abundance for every single good work. I bless their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. To the fourth generation, I say that they are blessed blessed to be a blessing, blessed coming in, blessed going out. I thank you, God, that they have enough for every good work, everything they touch. It prospers, pushes forward, succeeds, and achieves, and it gets greener. When people look at them, they say, man, it must be nice over there where they're living because the grass is green and it won't be from a septic tank overflowing, Father. I thank you that their life is green because of the seeds of faith and the fertilizer of the Word of God, the water of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of Jesus. Today, we love you, God, and we say, oh, how we love Jesus Thank you, God, for being our God. And thank you for choosing us to be your people. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen.